Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to all of you to today's Born Human podcast. Today, it's my privilege to introduce to you Mr. Morris Doyle. Morris is someone that I've recently become connected with through the work that I'm doing with Born Human. And I guess we have a very common outlook on the world. Um, Morris recently became a coach and a leadership coach specifically. And runs a business generous spirits which is he's doing some amazing work with but he spent almost 30 years in the drinks industry pioneering some incredible change there and some incredible business success and what I really love about Morris is the fact that in my experience of corporate life you don't often come across people that are as human centric as he is and What I was interested to talk to Morris about was how he balanced a really successful career in his industry with a family life that was really important to him. I think it's a really relatable conversation for many of us these days and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'll leave you to the two of us having a chat. Hello and welcome to today's Born Human podcast. Today I am joined, I have the privilege to introduce Morris Doyle. Morris is someone that I've come to know more recently on my journey with Born Human, I suppose, in terms of starting it and having a change of direction. And um, I guess thinking about the humanity of it all and um, and the people side of what, what life is all about, really. Um, Morris has had a similar journey. Morris is the founder of Generous Spirits, which he'll tell us a bit more about later on. But Morris is someone that has spent a long time in sort of heading up large organisations in the drinks industry. Um, to his peril, I'm going to introduce the fact that he was the was responsible for introducing the Bacardi Breezer into the UK and changing my... I suppose changing my outlook with um, potential suitors to uh, regrets and all those kind of things. It was the gift I gave you, Andy. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And we didn't even know each other then. So think of the amount of people you've influenced with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I had a very successful career in the drinks industry. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and understanding kind of what that was like as a father. Um, But I guess initially I'd like to say welcome, Morris. Thank you for coming on and joining us. Thanks, Andy. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. Um, so let's kick off by kind of getting a bit of background to your family. Um, how many children have you got and how old are they, et cetera, et cetera? Perfect. Well, I'm married to Sally and together we have three boys. Wonderful. And Emma, it's fair to say we've obviously talked before this anyway, so it would come as no surprise that <laughs> that would happen. Um but it wasn't necessarily a straightforward journey for you to become parents. No, it. Uh, first of all, it took me some time to find uh, the perfect partner, and um, somebody I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, and uh, uh, to share the parenting journey with. Um, and I was lucky uh, to eventually find Sally. Um, and uh, so that took a little bit of time. And then when it came to having made the decision, yes, we wanted to be parents, it, that also took some time. And so like many people, we went down the, the IVF route um, and, and there was uh, challenges and heartbreaks and, and joys along the way. But, but eventually we were blessed in terms of to be able to, uh, to have, have twins, first of all. Um, and I remember 
um, and they probably one of the stupidest things I've ever said was when um, we were going for a scan, one of the first scans, um, and uh, they showed me kind of two heartbeats. And my first thought, which I said out loud, was, oh, my God, our baby's got two hearts. <laughs> at which point Sally and the nurse just looked at me kind of with pity probably and, and then and then realized no actually it was two it's two separate babies we're gonna have twins and I'd never considered the possibility of having twins before and so yeah. then for about five minutes I was just completely silent contemplating what was ahead of us yeah but it's been it's been uh yeah it's been it's been amazing it's, it's yeah. been ups and downs obviously like with every parenting journey but it's been it's been a blessing yeah because with IVF, there's a higher chance of twins and multiple pregnancies, right? Is, so yes. I guess to some extent, were you prepared for that or did you kind of have that in the back of your um, mind? Ac- academically, I knew there was a possibility, but I always thought it was something that would happen to other people as opposed to it was something that was going to happen to us. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and probably had, I, had we had the single baby first, I would have been even more scared because I would have understood more about what was ahead of us. Yeah. We started with the twins first. It became like that was the norm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and therefore, having the third single child turned out to be easier than, than our expectations. So it was probably, for us, the best way of sequencing it. But we're happy with, we're happy with how it worked. And, and uh, it's, it's great. We have three uh, amazing boys in terms of who are... Um, approaching young men now yeah do they are they identical twins not identical no um no they're not there, there is a common doyle look so you <laughs> definitely recognize if you to see them Andy, that they're all from the same cut from the same cloth yeah. but they're they're different in sizes different in uh personalities different in look so yeah definitely not identical technical twins only then kind of yeah. Uh, yeah yeah definitely not the same people no yeah Very it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of thing. I, and I think it's the twins that I know over the years and that you've come to know, it's kind of asserting your own identity as a twin is is often quite a challenging thing, right? How do you, how do they find that? Do they find it, um, have they found their own ways kind of thing? Yeah, they have found their own ways. We were very conscious of that. We were conscious that they uh, they didn't come, they didn't have to automatically come as a pair. And so... We try to find schools that had kind of classes that were, um, uh, they could be in different classes and so they can have different friends. Um, and although they have many of the same interests, um, they do have different friend groups. And, and I think um, being in different classes and now doing different subjects um, means that they have separate lives. So yeah. they're not comparing one to the other. So one isn't a, a, another version of Jack, another version of Barney, the Jack in their own right, or Barney yeah. in their yeah, which is great, right? And is it is a conscious thing that it sounds like you guys took as parents, but I imagine with twins, you almost have to do in kind of asserting their independence. Yeah. And their, I kind of with my kids now, like my kids are uh, nearly two and five, and um, and they're boy and girl. So we we do we're quite lucky, I suppose, in some respects that we don't have that. Um, we have kind of natural barriers to them, the the age barrier, the gender barrier, those kind of things make it easier for us to kind of, for them to kind of see differences in themselves naturally anyway. Um, but I am still 
kind of equally aware of kind of making sure that things don't become competitive and, and I think that's just that's just it with parents but I guess with twins that's amplified um, yeah we, we we had to uh, we made some mistakes along the way but this identity of Jack and Barney it's almost singular identity of the two combined we had to stop that and then and there was Jack separately and then there was Barney and, yeah. and they are very they're very different and, and uh, yeah and, and so um, they do have a close bond. They don't have this kind of twin thing that they speak in a secret language uh, to each other. But they, but they obviously are um, very, very close. Yeah. Um, and uh, but luckily, the Malachis, the younger child, then they're similar. They're of a similar age that he can find. He, he can still be part of this. Is a group of three um, brothers as opposed to this group of two and then one other. Um, yeah. So that's an important thing for him. So we're very conscious of not to leave him out and for him yeah. to be uh, regarded by others and regarded by them as an equal part of the of the trio, if you like. Yeah, it sounds very well thought through. And uh, it, it's it, it's it's only true experience um, and has hidden many many mistakes along the way and many minor disasters. But you kind of you get through it. You learn from them as well, don't you? you I mean, actually, learn you them. learn by doing. That's the best yeah. way. You know that's the way we are as people and humans right it's that we we do learn by doing and if we yeah. i guess it's I, being able to acknowledge your mistakes when they do come on definitely and in a way in terms of i find that it's um it's it's maybe more uh more important or at least as important but it's harder to do that i find as a parent than to do it as a as a leader yeah. because in some way for me the stakes are higher i mean in a leadership role the stakes are important but in a parenting role then the stakes are even more important. You're you're helping shape a human, and, yeah. and, uh, and and because the stakes are higher, then I personally have found it probably more difficult to um, uh, to instantaneously admit mistakes and, and learn from them. I eventually get there, um, probably to a process of osmosis from a parenting perspective. But yeah, I have found that the parenting journey harder in that respect than the, the leadership journey. Well, the, the one I suppose the thing that um, as a recovering perfectionist, which we've talked about many times before, I, love the, the, no, um, <laughs> I do give you credit whenever I, I use it. I say my friend very... introduced me to the concept. <laughs> that's very kind. But the, I mean, the one thing that with parenthood is that you don't get another chance, do you? Like yeah. it's um, it's another life that you're creating, and yeah. you know as a parent you are responsible for its outcome the contrast i suppose between that and leadership at work and is that you can disband a business and you can yeah. kill a brand or you can you know kill a product and start afresh and learn from that mistake and you know give it a new start but you don't get that choice with children um everything becomes formative and shape shapes who they are you know so yeah. um you do and you don't because you're right in terms of the stakes are much higher because of that reason. But you do get another chance. You get another chance every other every every new day. Yeah. And one of the things as as being recovering perfectionists, then we we tend to uh, we set ourselves this kind of illusion of being constantly perfect, and and, and we uh, we determine our self worth and by being perfect in the moment, and it's impossible to be perfect in every moment. Yeah. We're, all, we're all slightly flawed individuals trying to do the best that we can 
and that applies if we're a leader uh, as a as a parent. But but if we screw up, as I do often, um, as as a parent, you know what? In terms of tomorrow is another day, you you move on. Thankfully, most of the mistakes I've made are not life threatening. Are going to kind of shape negatively their personalities dramatically. You just try and do the best you can, and giving being um, being kind to myself and being kind and Sally and I being kind to each other and uh, individually and collectively uh, it, to ourselves is an important thing because it, it's a journey where you'll do lots of good things, you'll do lots of bad things. And if you beat yourself up about the bad things, it's going to make the journey of parenthood much more challenging and much less enjoyable and much less fulfilling. And so yeah. and, and that's one of the lessons I've learned through experiences is, is try and be kind and be tolerant to my own failings as a parent. Yeah, and accept them, I suppose, for what yeah. they are. You know, you can't. There is no such thing as a perfect parent, despite no. what, despite what every media and everything around us tells you. There is no such thing, and um, and if we don't learn from it, I mean that that for me is kind of a measure of success. Really, is kind of am I learning from it in the day to day, and do yeah. I kind of if I keep making the same mistakes, then that. That's the failure to some extent. Yeah. It's not. If it's there not are constant patterns of things, then to, to, to learn from them and be aware, even, I mean, I think the starting point is awareness. So if there are triggers, and, and, and probably for all of us, there are, there are triggers in terms of what our kids can do, which can can spark maybe a, a less than positive reaction in, in us, and, and being aware of what those triggers are, and, and, then, and then deciding how you want to respond. Because ultimately, how and, and, and as a coach, um, this is something I've really learned as a coach, is that how you choose to respond ultimately is a choice. So the trigger is a fact, um, and but, but how I deal with that fact is is very different. It could be it could be raining outside, and I could decide that's another disastrous thing that's happening with lockdown and whatever, and um, and that's I get a negative energy from that. Or I can look at the rain and think it's amazing to be inside when it's raining outside. Or I get it's going to be great for the garden or it makes me nostalgic for being a child in Ireland because it rained all the time being a child in Ireland. <laughs> and I get a very different energy and and so it is a choice and like the, the triggers and how I respond to those triggers as a parent is ultimately my choice yeah and, and being aware of that helps me mostly make better choices I say mostly because I, I still make bad choices yeah. and sometimes the triggers are too much so I go back to kind of the, the, the standard way of working but but yeah it's, I think awareness and being conscious that it's a choice how you respond are, are helpful things yeah for sure I mean you, you're saying there about kind of being kind to yourself and kind of uh, we, we're always developing right as, as humans yeah. that's kind of how it is is that we don't just get to a certain age and say right dust the hands off now I've finished now I've turned 50 this is all great kind of thing I can move on and be you know, absolutely sure this is how it's going to go. We're we're forever developing, I suppose, and 100%. Um, and so being kind to yourself and accepting that things won't always go as you plan is a a skill in itself to some extent. And and how you, as you say, how the how you view the world. I like your analogy there on kind of if it's raining outside, there are positives to every situation, aren't there? You know? And and you can choose which of the two that you adopt. The other thing about being kind, uh, being kinder. To yourself is that you're modeling that behavior to your children and it's, i think it was Brené brown that said the best piece of advice as a as as a parent you can give 
is to model the type of behavior you want in your children. Yeah. So if, if you want to, if you want them to be kind, model being kind yourself. And yeah. if, you want, if you want them to be open with their emotions, model that behavior um, in yourself as a, as, a, as a parent, and they will see that and they will, they will learn from that and they will grow from that. So by being kind to yourself and to your partner as a parent, then hopefully you, they will learn to be kind to themselves and also kind to others. Um, and and uh, one of the things that I've learned through life to kind of experience is, is you can't really be kind to other people unless fundamentally also you're kind to yourself. It does start with generosity and kindness um, to yourself. And, and, and there's so much more pressures um, on um, uh, children uh, our age and, and children, um, kind of your children's age, than they were when we were growing up. And so it's a tough life. So the more they can learn those skills of, of kindness and acceptance, it's, 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 it's critical. And so by modeling that ourselves, then they can hopefully learn from that. Yeah. And also I think there's, there's a sense of um, when you get those things wrong, right? The fact, yeah. you know, there are times when I might get frustrated and, you know, as I say, my kids are a lot younger, but there are times when I sort of, I take my five-year-old aside and say, I got that wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. I would, you know, I'll try and do better next time. Um, and that they can see that you're trying and I don't know how much of it they absorb, but certainly huge uh, repetition yeah. and you know, demonstrating it, as you say, modeling it in a way yeah. where, and that's something that I've always, you know, making mistakes is something that I kind of grew up not trying to do. And yet actually now, what I realize is that those mistakes are actually as formative as anything else. For, so for them to kind of witness myself and my wife making mistakes and then kind of finding our way through those and proving to them that, okay, it wasn't the end of the world. I, you know, I didn't, you know, there, there was another outcome. It didn't have to be catastrophic, you know, um, you're, you're teaching you're them at every grow, juncture, you're only, aren't you? You only grow by doing new things and by doing new things, you're going to fail. Yeah. And so it is, it is, Failure is an inevitable part of the growth journey. Yeah. Um, to, and, and you can stay in your comfort zone, but nothing ever magical happens from your comfort zone. Um, and, and, and to get to growth and to learning, you need to push yourself through that. Um, and that feels very, it feels very uncomfortable. It feels very uncomfortable in a work environment. It feels very comfortable in a family environment, but it's yeah. the only way that you get growth. So I really love um, what, you're doing, what you're doing there in terms of um, acknowledging to your children if you've made a mistake and, and repeatedly doing that and that they see you being genuine in doing that and, and and they will learn from that and that will become part of who they are as well yeah he doesn't he's not as sympathetic when i make mistakes with lego and things like that they're <laughs> not things that he's happy about but you know again he needs to learn that sometimes yeah. daddy won't get it right um no. that's okay kind of thing and some of uh, some of my mistakes have gone into kind of family folklore in terms of they, they get brought out Kind of when family gatherings. Do you remember when when Dad did did X? Yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, and so there's uh, many of them. One that comes to to mind was um, and I'm a big Ireland sports fan, um, and Ireland had never beaten New Zealand, and uh, I was watching on TV. They were playing New Zealand. This is about kind of ten or fifteen years ago, um, and we were ahead until the very very last minute. In fact, the rugby game was on for eighty minutes. We were ahead until eighty seven minutes. Um, and Sally was elsewhere, and the three that were young at this stage were beside me. Um, and inevitably, New Zealand scored a try in the last minute to win the game. Um, and I, I said a word I shouldn't have done, 
and I, I flung the remote control at the wall <laughs> and, and the remote control shattered. All three children instantaneously burst out crying. <laughs> they, hadn't, they hadn't heard me use that word before. And then Sally looked, came into the room and just looked at the kids crying. And the, the wall crumbled, the remote control shattered and just gave me just a look. And, uh, but that's one of the stories that comes up comes up a lot of when, when dad fails. Do you remember when dad did that? Yeah. Exactly. But look at look at the longevity it has, you know, like exactly. it hasn't damaged them long term because you admitted yeah. your mistake and now they're able to embrace it as humour and yeah. um yeah. the walls recovered, the emotional recovered, um my credibility is largely recovered. <laughs> still no, still no. don't enjoy watching Ireland rugby games with you though. No. <laughs> Too much high stakes. That's now, true. Prepare, they have one of the things that I have managed to uh, to give my children, which I'm not sure is a good thing, is is a love of Irish sports, and we yeah. don't we, we I, I I am conscious that I'm probably subjecting them to a life of sporting failure and misery <laughs> as a result. But they they're following the dad in in that. History is uh, no marker of the future, Morris. That's, That's what I they like say, that. right? I like that, Andy. That's it. Their, their future, their experience may be very different. You never know. Exactly. Um, something you said about um I've, i'm interested to sort of understand kind of where you were at in your career when um when you had children and when that sort of journey started for in fact when you decided to have children i suppose if you've been on an ivf journey as well then there was a period before that i presume when you were working and trying and not succeeding and yeah um how fa- where were you in your career at that point and how was that for you um well, well the it started with the kind of meeting and, and connecting um with uh with Sally and, and and realizing that this was um something that I wanted to be part of our lives forever. And so that was that was in early to mid-30s probably. Mm-hmm. Um and we uh so that was full of joy and exploration was 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 great. I I um was uh, at the time was probably be leading my first business units um, at the time. So I think I was, um, uh, we, we had just moved back from the UK, from, from the Netherlands to live in the UK. And I was a commercial director um, for the drinks company that I was in, involved in. And that was, a, that was a new role that was busy. Um, it was UK based at the time. There wasn't much international travel, which was good. Um, but it was very busy and there was quite a lot of pressure associated with it so um I, I was i was very conscious that 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 i wanted you know, to be a parent as much as, as sally did but i also had this other thing which was very consuming in my life in terms of to be to be successful in this role and to prove myself that i could do this role uh, up to then i'd primarily been in marketing roles and this was my first kind of commercial role so uh, i particularly wanted this one to be successful to prove mm. i could yeah and how was that for the? How did you find juggling that between the two of you? Kind of thing. Did it- well, I found it. I found it very, uh, very difficult in terms of, and uh, um, I, I had the I had the best of intentions, and I was always there for every kind of uh, for everything um, for everything important. But but it it's there's one thing kind of being physically there, and then it's kind of are, are you really present though in that moment? Mm. And, and that's one thing which I've tried to. I've learned through through time in terms of to be present in even the early days of of um, of parenthood. When you're reading uh, a storybook, it's kind of commit to the storybook, 
and mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking, okay, but I, I need to do this quickly because I got three emails to send, and I got yeah. a Zoom call. We don't have Zoom calls at the time, but I've got a call to do afterwards, and it's just living in the in 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 the moment, and you try and you, um, you try and do the the best you can. I, I think um, uh, it, companies want as as mindful of this kind of balance debate, and people probably want as mindful of the balance debate, work life balance. Um, as we are as we are now so it was kind of uh, uh you, you were just kind of finding your feet and, and and i felt like i was juggling lots of balls in the air and, and nothing quite managed to kind of fall on the ground and and, and shatter but there was times where it was very close mm. I, I do remember there being a lot of pressure trying to not let every anybody down yeah and i, I remember feeling that pressure quite a bit how did, if you don't mind me asking, how did Sally find it? Do you, have you talked about that? Do you know how she found it kind of thing? Yeah. She, I mean, she was doing also a very um, important kind of professional job and, and uh, it, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was very it was very hard for her. And I think, I, I think as, a, uh, as a mother at a kind of deep physiological level, the experience is clearly different. You're both in it together. Mm. Um, and so she was probably feeling in an even more deeper, profound way. But it was, it was, it was, it was difficult, definitely. Intense, yeah. Intense. And I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's such a common thing, especially these days with the, I mean, medical advancements in um, IVF and mm -hmm. IUI and all the different things that you can have these days are incredible. And I think the, the amount of families that exist that wouldn't have existed 30, 40 no. years ago is, is is quite phenomenal. But I think what always strikes me is the uh, the sort of silent journey, and I suppose that's always part of why Born Human exists, is the fact that there is a, lots of these conversations are going on and lots of these situations are happening at home, and yet we're kind of turning up to work day in, day out, still trying to deliver at the same level as I was trying to deliver at before um, and without the opportunity to necessarily share it with anyone at work. How how sort of sensitive were your, uh, you mentioned earlier that kind of work environments were different back then, but how how aware was your, uh, your seniors at that point of your situation or was it completely behind closed doors? They were very, very, I think the problem probably was more me than, than them, they were very sympathetic, and 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 had I gone asking for help, then then I'm sure they would have been very open and very supportive. Um, but but it wasn't um, the the uh, the importance of of dealing with uh, people as humans at work and understanding there that that people are not just employees, um, their their fathers, their mothers, their their sons, whatever, um, and, and dealing with them holistically that didn't exist to the same extent then. So it, it, they, they were as sympathetic as I probably allowed them to be. Mm. Um, but the, the culture that was probably, uh, that, yeah, that was uh, early turn of the millennium. The culture was definitely different then. And I think thankfully it's becoming more progressive companies who understand. It's just, I think the nature of work is, is beginning to change and the old, command, control, and compliance model and how you deal with people is, is changing. People, we all want different things now from work. Um, mm. We all want 
to the, the more that we feel that we're listened to, that we're seen, that we're valued, that we're trusted, we perform better. Um, and, and so we're looking for different things from our companies than we used to do going forward. We're looking for different things from our leaders than we used to do going forward. Um, and that's, that's a change for, um, for the positive. So I think the issue was, if anything, I wasn't asking for, um, for enough help. And, and then uh, a couple of years later, I, I got promoted to another role where I was setting up a, a global function. I was responsible for um, selling in airports and ferries around the world. And that was a new thing. And I was pulling together this global business. Hadn't been done before in the company. Um, and that was a great personal opportunity. But it added to one extra dimension because I was traveling then globally. Yeah. And so I'd always try and make sure I was back at the weekend. But Monday to Friday, I was hardly ever there. Wow. So that, that placed, placed a much greater pressure on Sally. Effectively, Sally, Monday to Friday, almost became like a lone parent. Mm. And then I was coming back at the weekend and 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 trying to fully embrace being a father but um it was i felt bad um not being around monday to fridays as an irish catholic i feel guilty for everything but i certainly <laughs> felt, i certainly felt guilty and for not being around as much as i i i would have liked and also it was like you you, you arrive back on a on a saturday morning from a from a plane from miami or something and you go straight into being a parent in terms of and it's tiring yeah and I, i've looked back at uh, some of the early videos of birthday parties and i was always there always trying to be jolly but now when i look at myself i think oh my god i look so tired i like a yeah. yawn um and, and it was it was hard physically i mean it was much easier what i was doing than what sally was doing but it, it was it was hard um, and i i don't think i was kind to myself and i wasn't i wasn't calling out the pressure that i felt about balancing everything and uh yeah so it was uh a, a wonderful period with amazing highs i mean i wouldn't have changed it for the world but uh, it, it, it had its tough moments as well yeah how long were you traveling for like how long did that continue for uh, well was it most we, of your career in the end yeah, since that was 2006 probably since 2006 until uh until last year until just before the uh, pandemic yeah and so um yeah and, and um, as the kids grow older, the nature of the challenges and the, uh, with them changes. But a lot of Monday to Fridays, I wasn't uh, I wasn't there. Um, uh, I had at various points in my career. I had kind of uh, uh, I was regional president for Africa at one stage. So I had to be in Africa um, all the time. Um, one of the roles I had, I had to be in Bermuda a certain amount of days a year, um, which sounded very glamorous. But my family and my life was back in the UK. So that was um, uh, that was a challenge. So, so dealing with the the the, the travel um, was 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 big. And, and to, to put in this to to, uh, to context, most years I I was um, probably only in the UK Monday to Friday, seventy five days a year or something. So wow. the majority was was away. Mm. And you stay you stay and try you try and stay in contact. But it's never the same. And you call back at feeding time, or you call back when they're reading a book, or when the kids are going to bed, and you wanted to, to to say hello to everybody. But it was very inconvenient because Sally was just about getting everybody to sleep, and then I'd come on from some exotic part of the world, and um, trying to connect, and, and actually not being helpful probably in in yeah. in, uh, in doing that. So I mean, it, it was it was my choice, and I could have chosen not to do that. Um, 
but I was getting a lot of fulfillment from from work, and it had its financial rewards, uh, etc. But it, it did come at a at a at a compromise. Mm. Do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I'm interested because it's like um, I think it's quite a common thing that people, you know, that the, the breadwinner generally is kind of once you have kids that one of you takes on the role yeah. of breadwinner, be that mum or dad. It doesn't. Thankfully, these days it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but there is a sort of there's uh, there's a kind of tug of war goes on right between the, I, I kind of want to provide for my family and give them everything they they need financially and materialistically and all those kind of things. Um, but then the, the emotional side of it means that the sacrifice potentially comes on the other side of it, right? And I suppose you could look at it the other way as well that they, you know some people go down the emotional route of kind of always being there in terms of being present and those kind of things but as a result they they may lack other things you know and and it might not be you know that that will mean limited opportunities potentially and those kind of things as well um did you did you generally feel like it that sort of push and pull was always there kind of thing in terms of wanting to wanting to be more present kind of thing but yeah i think it was always and sometimes it was more explicit than others and more top of mind than others but yeah that tension um was uh was always there and um but um i I don't i i i couldn't find roles that were as stimulating or as enjoyable that um were uk based only Um, and so um it was it was the choice that that i and 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 we made and i think Mm. I, but I think people, thankfully, are becoming in in kind of uh, caveman days. The male role was kind of purely hunter gatherer, and, and probably there was nothing about kind of connection with the with emotions. Um, and, and now things are are, are changing and, and changing for for the better. And, and I think that um, uh, there are cleverer ways, there are more nuanced ways that you don't have to make quite the same the same compromises. I think yeah. one thing they the kind of pandemic really has shown us is you can uh, you don't have to you can do work without doing travel you can be clever about things but but the other thing is I've probably realised through uh, through experience is that um, uh, in work what's critical isn't so much the inputs um, or even the outputs it's the outcomes and yeah. if you become ruthlessly focused on what are the two or three outcomes. That are going to make a step change to your business and a step change to the business you're leading, the business unit or team, then actually you don't have to do as many, you know, the inputs don't have to be the same. Um, and um, I remember somebody very wise telling me, uh, kind of when I was in my 30s, that one that he was giving me positive feedback, but he said that actually one of the things, Morris, about you is that you over prepare for everything. And I think that's driven by a, by a common perfectionist nature um andy but but understanding that and accepting that there's some things i'm okay to just be average at and but there's two or three things that i really need to be brilliant at um, as a leader and manage my time better and so um that allows me time to 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 invest more on the things that are uh very important to me like family Mm. Uh, so that's been that's been a helpful discovery and i wish i knew if i could tell if I could go back to the 20, 24 year old Morris and say, listen, don't sweat the small stuff, focus on what's really important, manage your time um, um, 
more forcefully in terms of and prioritize behind those things that that really matter. Say no to more things. I was I was bad at saying no. I, I was flattered to be asked to speak at this event or to do this thing or whatever. And actually, I could have said no more often. And, and had I done that, I would have got the balance better. Not just the family work balance, but also the kind of time from for Morris balance. Yeah. Because there needs to be some time over and above your family commitments and your and and your work commitments that you're investing in in yourself as a as a as a father, as a mother, as a as an individual. And that's typically the thing that I squeezed the most. And I think better prioritization and saying no more often and therefore allowing me to say yes to what's important yeah would have been a lot helpful to know 30 years ago yeah how do you i mean obviously you've been in a long you've had a long career and it's, it's you've seen those it's really interesting to kind of hear and to see how the workplace has changed i suppose over that period um and obviously having teams worked for you over that time as well how how have you found it kind of being on the managerial end of kind of managing teams that are having children and, and sort of their lives changing around you kind of thing? Obviously that's adapted, but how has that, how's that been for you? Well, I think I'm always naturally, I've always been naturally empathetic and, and, and naturally um, interested and concerned for people. So I think I was always, my, my intentions were always positive, mm. um, but, but I think I can, uh, I, I, um, having been through the journey myself, I, I, I understand the pressures more and I understand in terms of uh, some of the practical things that, that, that can be done. But, but yeah, I, I, uh, I wish that kind of born human existed 15, 20 years ago when I was starting off my, my leadership journey because it would have been something that would have been helped me as a leader and helped those people that, that I... I work with because um, what I'm um, what I'm what I am always been interested in is 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 growth and especially in 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 drinks um, uh, leadership development and, and personal development um, and and the common thing about all that is it involves people um, mm. and it involves um, uh, allowing people um, the space um, and the opportunity to be themselves and if they're truly themselves they will be better at, they'll be more fulfilled at work they'll have higher retention at work they'll be more engaged at work they'll be more productive at work and mm. you will deliver better and better results um, yeah. and so um uh, I, I i probably always had that sense but in in my experience now and in my reading about leadership and then i i understand it more explicitly that that um leadership is about isn't about self it's really about um, uh, uh, winning collectively by allowing other people to rise and, and to grow and, yeah. and that involves them embracing their own humanity and giving them space and rejoicing in their own humanity um, and to model that that yourself because I think um, uh, in my journey I was probably more comfortable other people in my team um, being vulnerable and being open than than I was myself but I learned as a leader that if I didn't model the right type of behavior then then ultimately um, although I might talk a good game, people wouldn't sustain that behavior because they would see me behaving in a different way. Yeah. And so, uh, I think as I've grown, as I've grown uh, more experienced in terms of leadership, I'm more comfortable in in being vulnerable myself and being open and saying, I have no clue what we should do here, but here's a plan how we're going to find out. Oh, wow, I'm, I'm feeling 
uh, I'm not feeling the best about this or I'm coming in at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning openly because um, I'm, my kids have got a dental appointment or yeah. I'm leaving early on Wednesday afternoon because um, one of my kids are playing a rugby game. I, I'm much more comfortable being open about that and, and being very vocal about that to, and to partly to model and, and that to other people and to say it's perfectly acceptable um, yeah. to do that. Well, I guess that sort of brings us back to what we talked about earlier in terms of Brene Brown and model, modeling yeah. what you want for your kids, right? Not to suggest that your work colleagues are your kids, but if they are your part of your team, then actually why should we apply any different a model yeah. to your work family right, yeah. than we do your own family, right? Yeah. Um, the kind of the parallels there are quite stark in terms of how it's naturally evolved this conversation, but it is so true, isn't it? That if you don't sort of stand up and be what you expect of others, then, um, you know, you say one thing, do another. That's, that's never, that never goes down, does it? No, so um, it's interesting though, because I have, and, and this relates to something we said earlier, but I, ha I found it easier initially to be vulnerable as a leader than I found it easier to be vulnerable as a parent. Mm. And, I, and I do think it, it is that point again about the stakes seemed higher and and uh, but but you're absolutely right it's the same principles mm. well yeah but it, i think it's uh i suppose you know when you look back sort of 20 years or whatever to when uh, when workplace models were very different mm. actually i think we have to be kind to ourselves to say well actually nobody was thinking that way that yeah. wasn't how we expected the workplace to work so why would we um it's taken kind of cognizance of humanity to kind of say actually if we recognize that in people then there is value in it that it does bring different behaviors and it also takes the courage of it takes the courage of leaders to be able to be kind of pioneers in that and to turn yeah. around and say do you know what i believe in it so that's that's what we're going to do and it will it, you know nothing changes without somebody taking the first step and yeah. we can just continue to model i was talking to colleague of mine earlier on about kind of organization that they work with and they're very supportive of the work they do in the community and kind of changing communities that they work within but their inward organization is very 1970s yeah. so it only functions in like in, in old ways and yet so it's kind of it feels like a really juxtaposed situation to kind of be looking outside and saying it's really great that you're changing all these organizations but what about our organization and but but nobody, I suppose then that comes back to our humanity, right? In as far yeah. as it, it's always more difficult to look at yourself than it is to give advice to other people and say, yeah, you guys should be doing that. That seems like a really sensible solution. Um, I guess that, that brings me on really neatly to generous spirits and kind of where that came from for you. And I mean, that's uh, we've obviously met over the last few months and um, had lots of conversations. And it's been a really amazing connection for me um but i think it like i'd love you to sort of share where how you came to that and, and where it all came from and, and where you are with it now and what you're looking to do with it that would be great uh, absolutely so I, I left my last corporate role um in about april of of last year and um i i wasn't sure what i wanted to do and the, the pandemic was was in the early stages and 
um, to begin with, I did the the usual thing of binge watching Netflix for about kind of three or four <laughs> weeks, um, and and that was very good. But I thought there, there is a limit to yeah. how, I can, how I can do this for. I'm um, not sure there is a limit, Morris. Yeah. I've got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I've yet to know anyone who's completed Netflix, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true, but um, I, I knew it was something I couldn't do as my only thing um, mm. for for the rest of my life. Um, and I've always been really interested in um, in 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 transformation, transformation of of businesses and brands, and especially with my experience in the beverage and the alcohol beverage world, and um, the transformation of of teams and the transformation of individuals. Um, and so, um, one of the things I've had in my bucket list for a long time. Was uh, a, to, uh, was coaching, and I've always been a mentor at work, and especially like um, mentoring people that that had kind of um, uh, were cognitively diverse, maybe came from different backgrounds, and, and I gained a lot from that as well. But mentoring is different to coaching, so I put myself through a kind of ten month coaching program, and I've been supporting entrepreneurs and business leaders facing some of the challenges, some of the challenges I had, but also um, some other challenges, and and, and really really enjoyed that and worked with some incredible people and, and to witness people's growth um, and, and to witness them changing and becoming who they really want to be is kind of very it's profoundly kind of moving and, and as a coach you, you you don't do that they do that but you provide the space a safe and brave space for them to be able to do that and, and that's I find that really uh, rewarding and um, but I've also been able to combine that with um, uh, business support and advisory support um, for startups in the alcohol space mm. um, so, and non-alcohol in the beverage space and then it's about working with like-minded people who are doing some interesting things um, and just helping them build their brand and, 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 and scale their business um, and at the same time I've been kind of reading up on leadership and speaking to leading academics and authors and leadership so I, I thought I had to have something which united um, all these things and so I came up with the business and the name Generous Spirits. Um, and generosity is one of the values that I've always had. Um, and and um, pun on spirits. And, and, but also from a coaching perspective, there's a generosity of spirit that, that I think is helpful to be, uh, to be a good coach because it isn't about you when you're coaching. It's always about the person that you're trying to support. Yeah. Um, and so I've been doing that now uh, for the last, uh, year and it's been evolving um, with another amazing coach. A coach, um, uh, we've co-founded this program called uh, Manual Reset, which is about men and, and men coming to terms with their with their feelings. As we know, the men are often uh, very uncomfortable about expressing their feelings to themselves and to other people, and try and create a safe and brave space for people to do that. And so, it's, this is a ten-week program that we do, and we get like-minded men. Um, and, and and to see their growth and the support of each other, um, and, and uh, some of the yeah some of the feedback that we've got has been has been uh, has been really inspiring, and, and I'm, I'm I'm enjoying that. And uh, these men that we work with in this course are they range from probably early twenties to to late fifties, but 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 often it's it's around parenting and, and early parenting or, or late parenting and, and balancing that with um with work and, yeah. and is work um is work allowing them the space 
to be it, well is there is, is what they're doing at work allowing them to space to be the father the son the friends the the, the brother that they want to be um, and and these are quite profound questions that there um you can help people find answers to and, and the role of a coach is to help deepen the learning and forward the action and so it's 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 been really good and i've got i've got no roadmap kind of uh, going forward about kind of where generous spirits is going to go mm. but about really enjoying the the journey and probably and the i've learned more and i failed more um over, and, and done more new things in the past year than i've done in the past decade and, yeah. and that that's been that's been scary that's been exhilarating it's been it's been and it's been fun but it's been really fulfilling yeah and that's a wonderful thing right that you that your journeys you know for, for the conversation we've had leading up to this about your your journey at, both at work and and as dad has kind of yeah. brought you to a place where you've got a more rounded holistic view that you can kind of pick up on the bits that you really appreciate and the bits that you really love and also as a leader um working out the bits that really add value and how they add value um having seen both sides of it really having seen it function in the old world and the new world and and knowing emotionally what um the differences it can bring and and kind of how people can respond to that and react to it Definitely. And by, by going through this coaching journey, it, it fundamentally has helped me as a, as a leader because actually one of the most important requirements of a coach, of a leader rather, is to be a great coach, is to, is to recruit and develop the, the people that they can fulfill their potential. And that's right. Yeah. And so um, I don't know in the future whether I'll go back into a leadership role and if I've got the space to create a difference then, then I might do, but the, the coaching will always be a part of what I do. Um, and uh, either as a coach or as a leader, it, it helps me. And, and in, in some ways, even as a, as, a, as a parent, it helps me. It helps me in my own awareness of my own kind of weaknesses and, and where, where I make mistakes and the patterns of behavior I make mistakes. So that helps, helps me as a parent. But what doesn't help me is, is uh, as a parent, is my sons have a... Um, uh, have a radar for when I'm using any kind of coaching tips on them. So if I start, if I start using any coaching questions on them, Andy, they they give me feedback very quickly that, okay, that's all very well for the people you work with. I'm not <laughs> going to work over the breakfast table. So that's don't try it, Dad. So, uh, so if I say, well, what are you afraid of? Are there different perspectives you could look at this? And they go, Dad, I don't want to hear that coaching stuff. Yeah. There's a time and a place for it, but now is not the time. Now is not the, this isn't the place. How do you find, obviously now with COVID and everything, and obviously a change that that kind of profound change that you've been through, how has that been for you in terms of the relationship with your boys and kind of being home more, presumably, and kind of it's, it's, it's been it's been um, mostly mostly hugely positive. I say mostly <laughs> because it took us a while. <laughs> yeah, it took us a while to recalibrate the the fact that Monday to Friday Sally wasn't a lone parent. Yeah, and so it, it it took time for the the boys to understand that I was there, and probably took um, a time for me to appreciate that Sally had a routine that I worked for sixteen years. So there's no point in me coming back and trying to completely uh, change it. I, I do remember Andy one moment where um, one of our one of our boys um, was looking for for Sally, and I was asking 
kind of why he was looking for his mum. And, and he said, well, I, I want to check whether I can do something. Um, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a parent too. Uh, and he said, oh, oh yeah, but I'm, that's true dad, but I'm not used to you being around Monday to Friday. And yeah. it, it was like, it was, it was a weird mix of emotions because one level it was like a dagger in my heart yeah. being there. But also it, it was positive that I was around to being, uh, I was now around to be able to be involved more. And, 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 and with lockdown, everybody was living, as we know, in kind of, in a much more um, together enclosed state. And so being around for that was, was, was really good. And, and even now things are opening up. I can be around more often. So if there's a drop off to school, I can, I can do that. I can collect them more. Yeah. I, can, I can, I can always be there for the midweek rugby sessions, training sessions, etc. in a way that I wasn't before. So it's, it's definitely a much more positive. And I'm, I'm, I'm prioritizing that more than anything else, because although they will always be our children, I'm conscious that in a few years they'll be working or be in uni or won't yeah. be at home and the relationship will still be obviously hopefully there, but it'll be not as day to day. And my role as a parent will change. And so yeah. I'm trying to make sure that I make the most of this time. Yeah. And that's, I mean, again, that comes down to self-awareness and all those yeah. kind of things, doesn't it? And and the whole rain situation of like, well, you know, on one level, this is a not a great time. But on another level, it's forcing us all to yeah. embrace the things that, you know, travel and work would have otherwise prevented. Um, and yeah, bring, brings brings families closer together, hopefully, at least in some capacities, not always um, that okay. straightforward. But um, no. The yeah. other thing I found is by not traveling, um, I I was significantly less tired. I'm significantly less tired. So I remember two weeks after I stopped traveling, then um, I woke up one morning with a strange feeling and I was not being tired. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my God, I, 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 have, I can't remember this feeling of, of not being tired. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's, and, 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 um uh sleep is such an important thing in our well-being if you're sleep deprived then your energy changes your mood changes your resilience changes um, and so um yeah it's, it's been a big help dealing with everything the last years have showed me the fact that i've been i probably had the best sleep i've had over a consistent period because yeah. i have because normally what I'd be trying to do is catch three or four hours sleep on a plane coming back from from New York and then having a quick shower and heading straight into work and then yeah and and and, and then uh, with a drink straight often there's dinners or you go around on trade and, and there's late nights and whatever so it's kind of not the most healthy it's a very enjoyable yeah. but not the most healthy of lifestyle um, and and so it's been good to be able to be uh, a bit healthy and sleeping more and investing more investing more in me yeah. That's really good to hear. And I think, um, as I say, taking the positives out of what the last year has been for, for everyone, there has yeah. to be, there have to be positives in it. And I think if we, we can all focus on them, then that, that's not a bad thing. I, I, I wanted to, one of the, uh, one of the things I think about last year and the, for me, is having had a work change as well, it was almost like a gap year. And yeah. I think most people had that gap year when they were 18 and 19 and I'm coming to a gap year much, much later in life. But but the idea of taking breaks or taking sabbaticals, um, I, I think is such a such a really helpful thing because if if and it's something I'll encourage my, my children to do because 
they'll have 50 years probably of work to left 70 or 75 probably and, and, and so they're not going to have one career anymore with one employer they're going to have five or six careers with 20 employers in the whole gig economy and, yeah. and we're allowing them opportunity to uh, to recharge the batteries and refresh and recalibrate what they want to do is, is a really important thing because it's, it's allowing them to take control of their own journey as opposed to just continuing um, on um, on the journey they're in and and I was reading about the science of sabbaticals and the history of sabbaticals. Um, and, and there's a lot of uh, kind of scientific evidence to, to prove it. And, and it, I hadn't realized it makes sense. It goes back, obviously, to the Sabbath, taking a rest on a Sunday. Yeah. And, and also, like, um, from a uh, farming perspective, uh, every seven years, leaving a field fallow. Yeah. Able to No plants, no objectives, just to be and grow, just to be a field. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to get all the nutrients back and get all the energy back to be able to spend the next seven years growing things like crazy again. Yeah. And I, I think there's something really powerful um, in that. So I've had a, I'm, I'm having a great gap here. Yeah. It's interesting because I was literally about to ask a question, what one piece of advice would you give to your children now? And I think you just answered it right yeah. there. To be a field for a year, uh, be yeah. a field and take the time to kind of find yourself, I suppose, yeah. by the sound of things. Be a field. That would be huge. I think be kind to themselves. Yeah. Mm, uh, would be massive. And also, one of the things as a parent you wish with your siblings is that they be there for each other. Um, it, it, one of the things that my parents growing up in Ireland and um, were very uh, were very insistent upon that they wanted. Um, I came from just four of us, four siblings, that they wanted us to stay connected. And their legacy was that the four of us would stay connected. And we didn't have to live in each other's kind of uh, world all the time. But when we got together, there was kind of, there was a family tie and we'd always be there for the, each other. Yeah. And, and I, I'm fortunate enough for my siblings, we have that. And, and I really desperately want that for um, for my children as well, that after we're gone, that they'll there be there for each other and probably get together and still always joke about a time that dad threw the remote control <laughs> at the wall when I don't, when I don't know. Smashed the remote. Dad exactly. was stronger than we gave him credit for. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the remote control and one. That's it. Yeah. Well, it's been really lovely to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on Morris and telling us about your fascinating journey. Um, I will share details of generous spirits with the world in the, uh, show notes so we'll we'll do that and if anyone wants to reach out to you then they can presumably through the website absolutely um but i will leave it there and say thank you very much for coming on it's been a pleasure to have you and uh yeah thank you very much for joining us thank you Andy. i really enjoyed it myself thank you pleasure take care And there we have it. That's another week done for the Born Human podcast. A huge thank you to Morris for joining us this week. Morris is someone that I've really come to know and respect and appreciate being able to talk to and learn from. Uh, Having come from a corporate background myself, it's really refreshing to find other people that have similar outlooks on our humanity and the importance of that both in the workplace and at home and finding the right balance and I think he made a couple of really wonderful points there one of which that really stuck out for me around not sweating the small stuff and trying to keep things in perspective I suppose realising that 
you know, it's, it's about us finding the right, the right balance for us and making sure that we're able to give ourselves the time for the things that are important to us. So I hope this has been a useful conversation for you guys as much as it has for me. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of you out there that can relate to that push and pull that we discussed and the fact that being present at work and at home isn't always easy. As ever with all of these, they're not designed to be a, a mantra to live by. What they are is about lived experience and somebody else sharing their experience and knowing that what we go through is different for each of us, but we do have common ground. So in that, I will love and leave you for another week. So please do share and uh, subscribe, do all those good things wherever you get your podcasts. We're very grateful for your support and we love having you along. Thank you for joining us this week and we'll see you again next time.